1: Once upon a time and welcome to the Story Story podcast. I'm your host Rachel Anne Harding and I have some stories for you. This is a podcast to hear traditional stories told by some of the best storytellers in the world. It will take you to long ago and far away and will bring you back safely. For it has come unto us this rare event that has been foretold by the calendars. Halloween has come up on the same day this podcast is released. Now, I have heard many spooky stories, I have read many dark tomes, and I thought for this episode I would share two that have made me afraid, stories that have given me the shivers. And let me be clear, they are not for the faint of heart. So for the last time this year, I shall give this warning. If you are responsible for tender ears, you might want to listen first. Or be bold, be bold, but not too bold. It was the night of Halloween, and the hungry mob looking for sugar had come. Children in small flocks moving down the streets, parents shepherding them from house to house, choruses of trick-or-treat being caroled out into the night. As I strolled through the neighborhood, I enjoyed all the different costumes. I saw small grim reapers, princesses, princess ninjas, ninjas. I saw a child dressed as an eyeball, dangling nerves and all. Even the parents got into the spirit, for a few of them had dressed up as well. As I walked, I noticed the cat following me again, but it looked distracted. It would walk a few steps and sniff at the children walking by, as if he were looking for someone. The first teller for this episode is Kim Whitecamp, a sought-after storyteller, humorist, and musician, who shares her original stories and songs at theaters and festivals throughout the United States. This is her telling one of my favorite stories Eyes Closed, Night Falls. Please welcome Kim White Kemp.
0: Good evening.
2: <laughs> Tonight, the stories I will share with you, I will serve chilled. He knew it. From the moment she walked past his table, he watched her. The way that her hair swayed and her hips moved. And when she turned and looked at him with eyes as green as sea glass washed ashore, he knew that he had to have her. And he got up, walked over And a month and three days later, they were married. He was so excited. He bought a little chocolate box house on the edge of town with a small plot of land for a garden. And the first time she saw the house, she beamed and he thought he saw her eyes rim with tears She took his hand and held it and squeezed and he remembered the stories he told her of hard days alone. She had no family. He was it. And he was so happy to present this to her. The day that they moved in, they put everything away carefully and talked about how their life was going to be together. And when they began to set up the bedroom where they would be sleeping, she pulled in her spinning wheel. And he said, now my darling... He said, I know that we want to start a family, but it's not going to be for a while. And there's one extra bedroom. Why don't you put your spinning wheel in the extra bedroom? And she said, oh, she said, please. She said, this is really one of my only personal possessions. I want it by my side of the bed, right by the window. He looked at her. She was so beautiful. And he said, okay. He said, put it by the bed. Well, they had a lovely dinner that night, and as they dressed for bed, the man jumped in, pulled down the covers, and patted the mattress and said, come, come, my new wife. Come and let me hold you. She walked over to the bed, wringing her hands, and she said, oh, she said, I need to tell you something. She said, I'm uncomfortable in new places. And she said, this is our first night here. She said, can I just stay up a while and, and tomorrow night I'll lay down and you can hold me. He said, okay. He looked at her and she was so beautiful. He would have done anything for her. She said, listen, I'll tell you what. She walked around the bed. She leaned over, kissed him on the forehead and said, I'll sing you to sleep. And he said, okay. She pulled up the covers, laid her hand upon his shoulder, and she sang. Eyes close, night falls. Stars blink a warning. Moon glows on silent night. No one knows my wanting the man was fast asleep the next morning he awoke because the sun was coming through the slats of the wooden blinds on the window and as he woke up fresh and relaxed he thought i had never slept so deeply and then he remembered his new wife he reached over as he turned and as he did he felt dampness on his hands and as he turned fully around his eyes rested on his wife she was curled up in a fetal ball her arms clenched into claws matted hair on her head her eyes ringed with red sweat all over her body and he looked at her and he said my wife what is wrong she looked at him and she said nothing nothing Go to work. He said, what? He said, is, is it what we ate last night? Did you not sleep well? Is, does the bed is not the bed not Nothing. Go to work. The man slid out of bed and he said, is there anything that I can get you? She said, no. Sir. He disrobed, put on his work clothing and hastily went to work, worried all day about his wife. When work ended, he made it back towards home as fast as he could, and as he came down the road, (sighs) relief flooded over him. There in the doorway of that sweet little house was his wife, so beautiful, her long hair cascading over her shoulders and her arms open to her beloved husband. He walked into them. She wrapped them around him and said, I missed you. And he felt her warmth and he thought, oh, it's okay. She drew him into the house. They did a few chores, ate a good meal. The conversation was lively and the man felt good about things again. When it was time for bed, he disrobed, got on his night clothing, pulled back the covers, jumped in and said, wife, come on, come into bed and let me hold you. oh, husband, it's only been one night in this house. To me, it's still strange. Even though he's filled the walls with things that belong to you and a few things from me, it's still a strange place. And I ask you just one more night, please, just let me, let me stay up and you go to sleep. And she walked around the bed, pulled up the covers and said, I will sing you to sleep again. And she kissed him on the forehead and he smelled her. She smelled so good. And as she pulled back, her hair brushed his face. He looked at her. She was so beautiful. And he said, oh, okay. Eyes close. Night falls. Stars blink a warning. Moon glows on silent night. No one knows my wanting. The man was fast asleep. The next morning when he woke up, he was deeply rested and he stretched and then he stopped. He turned over. And again, his wife was laying there curled up in a ball, her hair wet and tangled and knotted up against her face. Her eyes ringed with red and sappy yellow goo. Her hands clenched into balls. And he looked at her and he said, wife, again, what is wrong? Tell me what is wrong. She said, nothing. Nothing is wrong. He said, please, he said, let me help you. He said, I love you. Let me help you. He said, you don't even look like the woman I married. There has to be something terribly wrong. Just nothing. Go to work. The man slid out of bed, put on his work clothes, and left his wife there. All day long, he worried about this. And night after night, for over a week, this was what happened. Finally, one day at work, eh, he was just exhausted. Even after she sang him to sleep, he started waking up, uh, feeling totally unrested. His his, his internal mechanisms were just full of anxiety for what he would find in the morning. And he went to his boss and he said, look, my wife is sick and I have to find out what's wrong with her. Please let me leave early today so I can go and try and get her help. Oh, of course, of course, his boss said. And so he left work early that morning, went down the road towards his house, but made a left onto a side road, went deep on the outside of town where a pile of rocks lay to mark the place where you turn to go back to the conjure woman's house. He walked through the deep grass into the deep woods until he saw that little house and he knocked on the door. The door slowly opened and there she was. Hello, what can I do for you? Well, my wife is very sick and I, I need help and I don't know what to do. Oh, come in, come in, come in. Tell me the story. Tell me the story. He went into the house and sat down and she sat across the table from him. And he began to tell her the story about how his wife would sing him to sleep every night for over a week. How he would sleep deeply, but wake up and she would be matted in in sweat and her hair tangled up against her face. And he said, I don't know what I'm supposed to do for her. And she said, (laughs) Oh, dear. You've married a boo hag. What? You've married a boo hag. A boo hag. What is a boo hag? A boo hag. A boo hag is, um, well, let's see. The skin that she's in is not hers. What? Her skin is like porcelain. It is perfect. My wife is beautiful. You do not know what you're talking about. Oh, yes, I do. Yes, I do. And at night, when she sees you to sleep, she takes off her skin and flies, flies through the town, looking for windows that are open so that she can hover above people and breathe in their dreams and their life. And at night, when they're in their natural form, they wave and weave through the trees. And then they come back and put their skin on and they walk among us. And you have fallen for it. Her beauty, you've fallen for it. You do not know what you're talking about. My wife is beautiful. My wife is lovely. He stood up knocking over the chair and he said, you, you're a kook. And he said, I don't want to hear any more of it. And he ran towards the door and with a strength that he never expected, she grabbed his arm and stopped him. And she said, tonight, put this in your ears. Don't let her lull you to sleep. Tell me what you see. Bring the story back to me. The man ran out through the woods, through the thick grass, back onto the path. And as he headed towards home, he was so relieved to see his beautiful wife standing in the doorway. As he walked towards her, he thought to himself, not her skin. I would know it if my wife was taking off her skin. Look at her. Beautiful, thick, raven hair, porcelain skin, green eyes. And as he he went into her arms, she held him. And he kissed her at, at that favorite spot that he loved so much. And when he did, he noticed that her ear was slightly lower than the day before he shook it off and he went inside and there was a lovely stew made and they sat down with steaming bowls and thick bread. The conversation was lively and and he tried hard not to think about the things that were creeping up from the back of his mind to the front. And as he sat there eating, he glanced up at his wife and noticed that the wrinkles above her knuckles were not above her knuckles, that the wrinkles had somehow slipped down her finger it's impossible, he thought. It's impossible, the woman I love. And that night when he got ready for bed, he got in bed and pulled the covers up and he said, Wife, come, I want to, I want, i i, wanna, I, wanna, I I'm, uh, uh. And she said, Oh, my darling, just one more night. One more night. Let me just sing you to sleep. Okay, he said, and as she walked around the bed, he turned into the pillows, put the cotton into his ears, and laid there, and when he knew that the song would be finished, he turned onto his side and gently pulled out a piece of cotton to see what he could hear. His back was towards her, and he listened closely, and he heard a noise that he'd never heard before. (sighs) The man groaned and turned to the other side pulled out the cotton things were silent and he waited he opened one eye and what he saw chilled him to the tips of his toe bone His wife sat there at the spinning wheel completely disrobed naked and on from her finger was a long glistening pink thread of skin going around the spinning wheel. It spun the skin off of her body, up her arm, across her chest, up her face, down her torso, and off of her legs and off the tip of her toes until there was a pile of moist, glistening skin laying on the ground. All that was left of his wife was sinewy, red, pulsating muscles, her hair sticking to the wet of the muscles. She stood up. from the spinning wheel, walked over to the window, opened the slash with her bloody red paws, leaped up into the frame, and jumped out into the night. The man was pinned to the bed in fear, and he lay there for what seemed hours, and then he remembered, she'll be back. He jumped up, tumbled into his clothing, ran down the road and turned into the woods, looking up around him at all times for his wife. He knocked on the door furiously. The door opened and the woman looked at him and said, (laughs) told you so. Come in, come in, come in. Did you bring the story? What did you see? What did you see? He walked in. And he said, you're not going to believe this. He said, I put the cotton in my ear so I didn't fall asleep. And then I turned over and I acted like I was sleeping. I was like, <clears throat> and then I opened my eyes and there she was. She had no clothing on and she was spinning off her skin and it was just muscles. It was just muscles, red, stringy muscles. And then she left out of the window and left. And he said, I don't want her to come back. She said, I can help you with this. She said, do you have blue paint? Yes, I have blue paint. I have it out in the shed. And she said, oh, get the blue paint and paint the sashes and then, and then nail all of your windows shut, but leave one window open just enough that she can squeeze through, but rough that wood up so it just cuts her to threads. The man ran out of the door, ran back to his house. He got the blue paint. He painted all the window sashes. There was only four windows. It was a chocolate box-sized house. So it fits within the story and the realistic context. LAUGHTER He then got a hammer and nails, and he nailed all of the windows shut except the basement window, which he left open about eight inches. And then he took a tool, a woodworking tool, and he sharpened around the edges and jagged out the woods and plucked pieces out until it was like knives of wood coming out from around the frame. Then he ran upstairs, and he did the final thing that he was told. He took a box of salt and a spatula He went over to the pile of glistening skin and poured the salt on it and stirred it and stirred it around. Then he took the box, threw it under the bed with the spatula, went back into his nightclothes, got under the sheets, under the covers, and he waited. Hours passed. And in the dark of the night, he heard her coming. He heard her go to a window, trying to open it to another window, trying to open it. And then he heard her go down towards the basement window that was open. And he heard her scream, her cries filling the house as she dragged her body through that window, cutting and slicing her all over. And then he heard her coming up the stairs. And then he felt her whoosh fly across the bed, the heat from the muscles warming his cheeks. She landed with a thud on the side of the bed, sounding like fresh meat on a butcher's block. Just as the sun was beginning to come up, she began to try and put her skin on. He turned and looked at her, and they meant eyes, but she had no time to recoil at him because she had to get the skin on before the sun came up. And as she pulled the skin on, covered in salt, it got into her wounds, and she screamed, and she screamed, and the sun tinged the hills, and the pink came up through the window, and she was gone. And feathery pieces of cray-paper skin Floated to the ground like party paper. The man slipped out of bed and looked at what was left of his wife. He got a dustpan and a broom, cleaned her up, sold the house, and vowed that he would never get married again. But then he met a woman, very plain of face, simple, intelligent, and a good cook. And he thought that she seemed like a fine, sturdy woman. He realized beauty, not important anymore. And she said that he was a good man, a hardworking man. And she said, the only thing is he, he kind of, no more goodnight kisses at the end of our dates. He, he pinches my hands and pinches my cheek, but that's a small thing to put up with. He bought a little house and soon they had a child And they had a nursemaid come in to help her with the child. And they slept peacefully almost every night together. And then the nursemaid left. And the baby cried that beautiful crystal bell cry. And she said, oh, my sweet husband, I'll go put the baby to sleep. And he nestled into the pillows as he heard his wife pad over to the little bedroom. And she sang a lullaby. Eyes closed. Night falls, stars blink a warning, moon glows on silent night, no one knows my wanting. Thank you for having me. Ew.
1: Today's fairy tale sponsor is Baba Yaga's Finishing School. Many parents wonder if their children would survive the real world, much less the world of a fairy tale. Are they too dependent on electronics? Would they know what to do when confronted by an ogre? Or what to do if their baby brother was stolen? Baba Yaga is happy to help test your offspring, and should they fail, employ them to help clean and care for her house. Baba Yaga's Finishing School. Prepare your child for the world, traditionally and with minimal trauma did you know that all the patrons of the podcast can read the future in their coffee grounds and are patrons of the arts you can too for as little as four dollars a month a big thank you to all the patrons who make this podcast possible if you want to hear me make up facts about you then maybe you should become a supporter too it would be pretty cool It was the children all dressed like witches that passed me when the cat finally meowed. I turned and looked. There was the cat, meowing and rubbing against one of the taller girls who laughed and talked to him while patting his head. I smiled. He must have found a friend or maybe this was someone from the house where he lived. I left him there and continued to make my way down the street. It was the last meow that caught my ear like a goodbye. And turned back only to see an empty sidewalk where the group had been a moment before. A movement caught my eye, and I looked up and saw a blur of cloth and broom in the sky, and one more meow before they disappeared into the night. The second teller is Milbury Birch, an award winning, internationally known performer and recording artist, as well as a monologist, playwright, and teacher of her craft. And this story has been featured on the podcast before but it still haunts me as it plays on themes of the undead and those who are closest to us. This is her telling, Mama Gone. My mama died four nights
0: ago, giving birth to my baby sister Anne. Bubba cried, Mama Gone, in his little boy voice, but I never let out a single tear. There was blood red as any sunset all over the bed from that birthing And when Papa saw it, he rubbed his head against the cabin wall over and over and over and made little animal sounds. Suki washed Mama down and placed the baby on her breast for a moment. Remember, she whispered. Mama gone, Bubba wailed again. But I never cried. By all rights, we should have buried Mama with garlic in her mouth and her hands and feet cut off, what with her being vampire kin and all. But Papa absolutely refused. Your mama couldn't stand garlic, he said, when the sound stopped rushing out of his mouth and his eyes had cleared. It made her come all over with rashes. She had the sweetest mouth and hands. And that was that. Not one of us could make him change his mind. Not even Grandad Stokes or Pop Wilbur or any other of the men who come to pay their last respects. And as Papa's a preacher and a brimstone man, they let it be. The onlyest thing he would allow was for us to tie red ribbons round her ankles and wrists "'a kind of sign, like a line of blood. "'Everybody hoped that would do. "'But on the next day, she rose out from her grave "'and commenced to prey upon the good folk of the holler. "'Of course she come to our house first, "'that being the dearest place she knew. "'I saw her outside my window, gray as a gravestone, "'her dark eyes like holes in a shroud. "'When she stared in, she didn't know me, "'though I'd always been her favorite. "'Mama, be gone,' I said, "'and wave my little cross at her, "'the one she'd give me the very day I'd been born. "'Avant!' "'That old Bible word set heavy in my mouth. "'She put her hand up on the window frame, "'and as I watched, the gray fingers turned splotchy pink "'from all the garlic I'd rubbed into the wood. "'Black tears dropped from her black eyes then, "'but I never cried. "'She tried each window in turn, "'and not a person awake in the house but me, "'but I'd done my work well.' and the garlic held her out. She even tried the door, but it was no use. By the time she left, I was so sleepy, I dropped down right by the door. Papa found me there at cockcrow. He never did ask what I was doing, and if he guessed, he never said. Little Joshua Greeno was found dead in his crib. The doctor took two days to come over the mountains to pronounce it, By then the garlic around his little bed to keep him from walking too had mixed with the death smells. Everybody knew. Even the doctor and him a city man. It hurt his mom and papa sore to do the cutting. But it had to be done. The men came to our house that very noon to talk about what had to be. Papa kept shaking his head all through their talking. But even his being a preacher didn't stop him. Once a vampire walks these mountain hollers, there's nary a house or barn that's safe. Nighttime is lost time and no one can afford to lose much stock. So they made their sharp sticks out of green wood, the curling shavings littering our cabin floor. Bubba played in them, not understanding. Suki was busy with the baby, nursing it with a bottle and a sugar teat. It was my job to sweep up the wood curls. They felt slick on one side, bumpy on the other, like my heart. Papa said, I was the one let her turn into a night walker, It's my business to stake her out. No one argued, especially not the Greenos, their eyes still red with weeping. Just take my children, Papa said, and if anything goes wrong, cut off my hands and feet and bury me at Mill's Cross under the stone. There's garlic hanging in the pantry. Mandy Jane will string me some. So Suki took the baby and Bubba off to the Greenos' house, that seeming the right thing to do, and I stayed the rest of the afternoon with Papa, stringing garlic and pressing more into the windows but the strand over the door, he took down. I have to let her in somewhere, he said, and this is where I'll make my stand. He touched me on the cheek, the first time ever. Papa never has been much for show. Now you run along to the greenos, Mandy Jane, he said, and remember how much your mamma loved you. This isn't her child. Mama's gone. Something else has come to take her place. I should have remembered that the good book says... The living know that they shall die, but the dead know not anything. I wanted to ask him how the vampire knew to come first to our house then, but I was silent, for Papa had been asleep and hadn't seen her. I left without giving him a daughter's kiss, for his mind was well set on the night's doing, but I didn't go down the lane to the Greenhouse at all. Wearing my triple strand of garlic with my cross about my neck, I went to the burying ground, to Mama's grave. It looked so raw against the green and hillside. The dirt was red clay, but all it looked like to me was blood. There was no cross on it yet, no stone. That would come in a year. Just a hump and a heaping of red dirt over a coffin, a plain pinewood box hastily made. I lay face down in that dirt, my arms open wide. Oh, Mama, I said, the good book says you are not dead, but sleepeth. Sleep quiet, Mama. Sleep well. And I sang to her the lullaby she'd always sung to me, and then to Bubba, and woulda sung to Baby Ann had she lived to hold her. Blacks and bays, devils and greys, all the pretty little horses. And as I sang, I remembered Papa thundering at prayer meeting once. Behold, a pale horse, and his name that sat on him was Death, and the rest of the song just stuck in my throat then, so I turned over on the grave and stared up at the setting sun. It had been a long and wearying day, and I fell asleep right there in the burying ground. Any other time fear might overcome sleep, but I just closed my eyes and slept. When I woke, it was dead night. The moon was full and sitting between the horns of two hills. There was a sprinkling of stars overhead. And mamma began to move the ground beneath me, trying to rise. The garlic strands must have worried her, for she did not come out of the earth all at once. It was the scrabbling of her long nails at my back that woke me. I leaped off that grave and was wide awake. Standing beside the grave, I watched as first her long, gray arms reached out of the earth. Then her head, with its hair that was once so gold, now gray and streaked with black, and its shroud eyes emerged... And then her body in its winding sheet, stained with dirt and torn from walking to and fro upon the land. Then her bare feet with blackened nails, though alive Mama used to paint those nails, her one vanity. And Papa allowed it, seeing she was so pretty and otherwise not vain. She turned toward me as a hummingbird toward a flower, and she raised her face up, and it was gray and bony. Her mouth peeled back from her teeth, and I saw that they were pointed, and her tongue was barbed. Mama gone, I whispered in Bubba's voice, but so low I could hardly hear it myself. She stepped toward me off that grave, lurching down the hump of dirt, but when she got close to the garlic strands and the cross stayed her. Mama? She turned her head back and forth it was clear she could not see with those black shroud eyes. She only sensed me there. Something warm, something alive, something with the blood running like satisfying streams through the blue veins. Mama, I said again, try and remember. That searching, awful face turned toward me again, and the pointy teeth were bared once more. Her hands reached out to grab me and then pull back. "'Remember how Bubba always sucks his thumb with that funny little noise "'you always said was like a little chuck in its hole? "'And how Suki hums through her nose when she's baking bread? "'And how I listen to your belly to hear the baby? "'And how Papa always starts each meal with the blessing on things "'that grow fresh in the field?' "'The gray face turned for a moment toward the hills, "'and I wasn't even sure she could hear me, but I had to keep trying.' "'And remember when we picked the blueberries "'and Bubba fell down the hill tumbling head in over "'and we laughed until we heard him "'and he was saying the same six things over and over "'till long past bedtime? "'The gray face turned back toward me "'and I thought I saw a bit of light in the eyes, "'but it was just reflected moonlight. "'And the day Papa come home with that new ewe lamb "'and we fed her on a sugar teat, "'you stayed up all the night "'and I slept in the straw by your side.' It was as if stars were twinkling in those dead eyes. I couldn't stop staring, but I didn't dare stop talking either. And remember the day the bluebird stunned itself on the kitchen window and you held it in your hands? You warmed it to life, you said. To life, Mama. Those stars begun to run down the gray cheeks. There's living, Mama, and there's dead. You've given so much to life. Don't be bringing death to these hills now. "'I could see that the stars were gone from the sky over her head. "'The moon was setting. "'Papa loved you too much to cut your hands and feet. "'You gotta return that love, Mama. "'You gotta.' "'Veins of red ran along the hills outlining the rocks. "'As the sun began to rise, I took off one strand of garlic. "'Then the second. "'Then the last. "'I opened my arms. "'Have you come back, Mama? "'Or are you gone?' The gray woman leaned over and clasped me tight in her arms. Her head bent down toward mine, her mouth on my forehead, my neck, the outline of my little gold cross burning across her lips. She whispered, Here and gone, child. Here and gone. In a voice like the shaking of willow leaves, I felt her kiss on my cheek. Then the sun came between the hills and hit her full in the face, burning her as red as earth. She smiled at me, and then there was only dust motes in the air, dancing. When I looked down at my feet, the grave dirt was hardly disturbed, but Mama's gold wedding band gleamed atop of it. I knelt down and picked it up and unhooked the chain holding my cross. I slid the ring onto the chain, and the two nestled together right in the hollow of my throat. I sang again, Blacks and Bays... Dapples and grays and from the earth itself the final words sung out all the pretty little horses that was when i cried long and loud a sound i hope never to make again as long as i live and then i went back down the hill and home where papa still waited
1: by the open door Thank you for listening to the story story podcast show the love find Kim Whitecamp and Milbury Birch on the internet. Tell them you heard them on the podcast and now want to hear them tell more stories. You can find me and the podcast on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at story story podcast or Rachel Ann Harding. The inspiration for the true fairy tale was a story seed from Laura Packer. You can find her lovely story and writing prompts by looking her up on social media. Check out the ads for the fairy tale sponsors and let me know the favorite story you have heard or the favorite stories of your childhood. Who knows? Maybe you'll hear them here soon. This podcast is made possible by patrons like you. If you'd like to become a supporter of the podcast or discover sponsorship opportunities, you can find links on StoryStoryPodcast.com. If it isn't in the cards to support the podcast right now, no worries. Perhaps you'd be willing to go write a review on iTunes, which helps other story lovers find and enjoy the podcast. Head over to the website and join the mailing list for hidden goodies. And if you tune in, you will hear more stories next week. But until then, live happily ever after.
0: Mary Kate opened up the door and there on the doorstep wrapped in his own blanket
1: was And to this day, Anansi spins webs, so that he can catch the flea, the fly,
0: and the moth that got away. If you go down to the lake on a clear day, when the water lies as calm as a sheet of glass, you can still see the rooftops of the castle glittering in the sunlight.
2: And if you listen really closely, you can even hear the festive music from the royal court.